Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. So within Jesus' circle, there were these two. There were probably 10 others who were also interested in the rise of the Jewish state. But these two can be specifically identified as those who had a special interest. Judas was probably named after the hero of the day. You might not know this, but Jesus was not the hero of his day. He became the hero. We'll talk about that next week. But Jesus was not the hero of his day. Judas was the hero of his day. Not Judas who followed Jesus, but Judas Maccabees was the hero of Jesus' day. Um, you probably haven't heard much about Judas Maccabees. There's an account of him in what we call the Apocrypha. Uh, you know, evangelical Protestants have uh, what we hold to be as the Bible, as, as Scripture. And then there's this other section of uh, writings that we have demoted. Uh, The argument is they've sort of always been demoted from the high level of Scripture to this thing we call the Apocrypha. Has anybody ever heard of the Apocrypha? Um, This is where the story of Judas Maccabees is told, the the, uh, Maccabean revolt and the, the family of the Maccabees. Uh, I'll catch you up to speed. So around 300 B.C., Alexander the Great parses his kingdom into three regions. He doesn't have children, so he gives uh, his conquered area to three different generals. They split it up between them. Uh, the, The Ptolemies, the Ptolemaic Empire gets in charge of Israel, but then the Seleucids, they, they take it over. There's a battle between the two. And... About 200 years before Jesus, Antiochus Epiphanes is the leader of the Seleucid dynasty. You maybe have heard his name before, but uh, he was a Greek, uh, you know, of Greek heritage, um, son of this, or great-grandson of this general who had taken over after Alexander the Great. And he's not just sort of a normal ancient ruler. Uh, He has declared himself to be God. Other ancient rulers do that too, but the part that makes him abnormal is that he's he's really getting into it. He's really believing his own press, and he's starting to think that he really is something extraordinary. And he decides, instead of letting sort of local populations worship the way that they want to, as long as they give him tribute, he's decided he wants to go a step further. 
and make sure that they are worshiping him, worshiping his gods, the Greek gods. And so he's implementing a variety of policies. As a result, the Jewish people, they rally together and they switch sides. They stop paying their tribute to Antiochus. They start paying their tribute to uh, the Ptolemaic leader who's in the area of Egypt. Antiochus does not like this, and so he comes in with full force and enforces his authority over the area of Israel and Jerusalem. He has a Greek gymnasium built next to, right on the Temple Mound. And this is a total affront to the Jewish people. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? He's, you know, he's bringing in culture. He's providing a place for the Jewish people to work out. <laughs> you know, why are they so against this? Well, it just happened that in order to participate in a Greek gymnasium, you needed to disrobe, like completely. You worked out naked. And the Jewish people were very much against this practice. They thought that that was sinful and shameful. And they were really intense about hating when these kinds of things were forced upon them. Antiochus Epiphany uh, goes a step further and he takes a pig which was considered to be an abominable, unclean uh, creature and he takes it into the temple and on the holy altar he sacrifices this pig. Uh, this is described as the abomination that causes desolation. This is as bad as it gets. The Jewish people, they are incensed, they are irate, they are mad beyond anything you could imagine. I mean, at your maddest moment, you probably were about 10% as mad as they were mad. This was everything that you could do to spit in their face. I mean, this... This was everything. They had had enough. And that's where Judas Maccabees comes on the scene. He rallies the Jewish people together. And he fights and he wins independence for the Jewish state. Judas Maccabees is the hero. Many people think that he during his era and in the 200 years following, many people think that he was the Messiah. And so it's very likely, this is just a guess, but it's very likely that Judas Ishkarioth is named after Judas Maccabees because he's the hero of the day. Children pretend to be Judas in Jesus' day. And so you could imagine Judas on Palm Sunday, the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You could imagine Judas getting pretty excited because Judas has seen Jesus operate. Judas has seen how easily he puts to rest any argument the Pharisees or the Sadducees have. And he's okay with that, but what he's really impressed with is Jesus' power. He can touch people who are blind and suddenly they see. He seems to have command, not just in the physical world, but also in the spiritual world. 
tells demons where to go. He seems to just have extraordinary powers. He has seen Jesus walk on the water. And so Judas is celebrating because Jesus is finally stepping into his power. Right, previous to this, when Jesus heals somebody, he says, don't tell anyone. Let's not promote this. I don't want this getting out of hand. We've already got plenty of people coming. But in this case, Jesus accepts all of the love and the adoration and the worship and the promotion that he gets. He accepts it. He accepts it. And Judas is no doubt very excited about the potential. As much grief as we give to Judas, he knows the Old Testament scriptures. He's read in Isaiah where the Messiah is described. He knows that one day all the kings of the earth will bow, will bring tribute to the king of Israel. And I'm sure Judas must have been convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that Isaiah spoke of. This is a good day for Judas because Jesus was finally being the Jesus that Judas wanted him to be. Jesus was finally being the Jesus that Judas was trying to get Jesus to be. You see, when Judas later on makes his deal with the devil, it's possible that he was just greedy and would do anything for 30 silver coins. But that's not the most likely scenario because 30 silver coins didn't get you very far and he was already the treasurer of the most popular rabbi of the day. There was probably a significant purse that he held personally. And we know that he was already skimming off the top. So he already had access to funds. Probably the better theory is that Judas was trying to get Jesus to go all the way in. To fulfill his idea of what the Messiah should be, should look like, should do. Is it possible that we appreciate God when God is being the God we want him to be? And is it possible that at the same time we struggle deeply when Jesus is not being the Jesus that we want him to be? Well, Judas is having a very good day on Palm Sunday. Jesus is accepting all the praise. In fact, he's accepting it to the degree that the Pharisees come running out and they say, you've got to stop this or we're all gonna die. All right, we know from the account in John that Jesus' followers wait. They wait to begin proclaiming Jesus as the son of David, the king of Israel. That's a kingly title, by the way, son of David. But they wait to begin proclaiming this until they're very close to the city. 
Because if they proclaim it too early, then the Romans will show up. You see, the Romans, they bring in a lot of extra troops during Passover. This is the first day of the Passover week. And the Romans know to be on high alert. This is the time when Jewish nationalism is at its height. If there's going to be an insurrection, if there's going to be a riot, if there's going to be any kind of thing going on, this is the time. You know, more Jewish people are gathered together than normal. If there's some sort of plot going to happen, now's the time. And so there's all kinds of extra Roman soldiers stationed in Jerusalem and in the surrounding outpost on reserve for this moment. And so this, the followers have to be very careful about when they present Jesus as king. The Pharisees run out. They ask him to stop because they know this means trouble. Jesus says, my paraphrase, not a chance. Basically, if they're quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. Like, this is going to happen. Unstoppable situation. During that time, there was this widespread belief that the Messiah was going to show up during that time. So much so that the priest kept the temple doors open. Uh, all during Passover, during these years, so much so that, uh, you know, this idea that the Messiah was going to show up, like they had, there was this sense that the Messiah was going to be there. So much so that they would leave the temple doors open as a welcome for the Messiah. They were ready to receive the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. They were hoping for the Messiah. They were very happy to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They also recognized other people as Messiahs. Basically, anybody who was willing to stand up and say, come on, let's fight the Romans. But they missed who the real Messiah was in so many ways. And they missed why he was the real Messiah. Because people like you and I, we have the tendency to be a huge fan of Jesus when Jesus is the Jesus we want him to be. But Jesus is a very strange king. You see, Jesus, he says things like, you should love your enemies. That doesn't sound like any other king in human history. We could do a quick survey, but I'm pretty sure no other king has ever said something like that. When something goes down like against America, do our presidents get in front of the camera and say, it is now time to love our enemies? They don't say that. They say it is now time to bring justice, which means we're going to bomb them with so many things. We're going to get ours. 
they killed 3,000 of ours, we're going to kill 300,000 at least, just like on the first day in revenge. And most Americans are so happy to hear that. Yes, they deserve our wrath. I'm not a pacifist myself. And I'm usually all in when the president is giving that address. So Jesus is strange because he says that we should love our enemies. I mean, this is a different kind of kingdom that Jesus is talking about. This is something the world has never seen before. Jesus says things like, humble yourself and the Father will lift you up. What? That's not how the world works. Has Jesus lost his mind? You don't humble yourself to get ahead. If you want to get ahead, you advance yourself. If you want to be in the top spot, then you need to dominate and demean to get there. Jesus is a strange king. But this day, he's chosen to be, or he seems to be choosing to be the king that everybody wants him to be. He says to his followers, Go grab a colt, an unbroken donkey. And sometimes we say this is Jesus being representative of a humble servant king. Rather than saying, go find me the most majestic stallion around. I'm ready to make war. He says, go and get a colt. I'm a king of peace. That's one way to interpret it and There's a piece of that that's true. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is doing because it was very clearly known from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah, the King of Israel, would ride through the east gate of Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And so Jesus is very, very clearly proclaiming himself the King of Israel, the son of David. He is not telling anybody to be quiet because he is rightfully the king of Israel. He is the son of David. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And so he tells no one to be quiet. People are right to proclaim him Messiah, Hosanna, the one who saves. They are right to cry out, save us, O Lord, because he is the one who can save. They just misunderstand exactly how that's going to go down. So, massive question for us on Palm Sunday. Do we love Jesus? Or do we love Jesus when Jesus is being the Jesus we want to be? Are we like Judas who we get thrilled? By the way, there's no specific account showing Judas's elation over the situation. 
But do we get just excited when Jesus does things we want him to do? So this is the beginning of Passover week. And Jesus is entering in on the first day of Passover. And the first day of Passover, the thing that you did on that day to prepare for Passover is that you went and you selected a lamb, right? And the lamb needed to be pure, spotless, in order to qualify for the Passover meal. It's actually a whole industry around Jerusalem. Maybe you've heard of a town called Bethlehem. If you haven't, come back at Christmas time. Or stick, I should say stick around till Christmas. We'll come back. Stick around. But just outside of Jerusalem is an area called Bethlehem, and these shepherds are raising sheep for the whole year. It's, it's their income to sell sheep at Passover. And isn't that interesting to realize that part of the Christmas story has a lot to do with Passover and has a lot to do with Jesus' plan to be the Passover lamb. Isn't it interesting that God knew that way back when he selected David, who was from Bethlehem? So it's lamb selection day. And isn't it interesting that on lamb selection day, this is all in Exodus chapter 12, by the way, specific directions about how Passover goes and how the preparation is supposed to happen. Isn't it interesting on Lamb Selection Day that God is presenting his lamb and asking us if we will accept Jesus as our Passover lamb? Asking us if we will really accept him as king of our lives. Well, Jesus fulfills another uh, part of the Passover preparation on Palm Sunday, as we call it. He performs a ritual called kemetz, which is a cleaning ritual. Jesus cleans house. Back to Matthew chapter 21, and starting in verse 12. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of money changers and chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The idea of Kemetz is that you do a deep cleaning. And you're trying to find any yeast and get rid of it. One of the things Jesus says about the Pharisees and their teachings is, like they're, is that they're like yeast. It just takes a little bit of false teaching. A little bit of false direction and it spreads throughout the whole bread loaf. All the bread. And so Kemetz was about getting rid of all the yeast. And so there was this deep highly intense cleansing of the house. This is like spring cleaning 5.0. I mean, this is, this is getting down to every little corner, every little speck of every 
piece of dust is clean. Jesus participates in the cleaning of the house, his house. You see, he knows what's going on in the temple. He knows that the high priest and his cronies have turned Passover into a business, a very lucrative business. You see, they've made a rule that only Passover lambs certified by them are okay. So you can already see some corruption coming in. They're controlling the market. And the only way you can buy one of these certified Passover lambs, which they own, is with coins from the temple. That you have to, you have to exchange your money for. And they're in charge of the exchange rates. So we're at least at two, but probably three, four, and five levels of corruption in all of that. Jesus cleans house. Jesus is angry. Is anger a sin? If anger leads you to sin, then that's sin, but anger itself is not a sin. It's just a matter of what you're angry at, right? We're instructed in the scriptures to hate what is evil. To be intensely passionate about our hate for things that are evil. Is there any house cleaning that we need to do? Uh, I don't like dust. Anybody else? Dust annoys me. It's insidious. It's like impossible to stop dust from happening. Uh, for some reason in our home, all, I'm pretty sure all the dust collects in our bedroom. So I could go to sleep with everything dusted and then I wake up and there's like a half inch of dust on my nightstand. I bought this very powerful air filter to sit right next to me in bed. And, uh, you know, it's, it actually reduces the dust a lot. But there's still dust. Uh, is it possible that even, even for people who have like their devotions every morning, is it possible that dust still enters in, that there's still comets, sorry, there's still yeast, and we need to perform comets? I think so. At least that's been my experience. Every once in a while, it's important for me to do a deep dive and really question the way that I'm living. Because one of my spiritual disciplines that I seem to be best at is hearing the word of God and then finding a way to not live it out, like rationalize not living it out and continuing living the same way that I have been living. Is anybody else good at that spiritual discipline? No. So this week, Holy Week, Passover week is a time for us to perform spiritual commits, to go through and to search for yeast. What is it that is causing us to be unholy, impure? We don't like it when Jesus performs commits on us. 
because he knows exactly what the issue is. He knows exactly the thing keeping us from fellowship with the Father. He knows exactly the thing that we're not trusting him with. He knows exactly the way in which we are saying, I think I know a better way. I think this pleasure is better than some thing that you might provide. This crowd, as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, is yelling, son of David, save us, right? Hosanna. Uh, they're waving palm branches, which is like the, the Jewish flag. They are craving for freedom. And Jesus seems to be honoring their desires. It's that same crowd a week later that's yelling, Mazazel, take him away. It's the same crowd, some of the same mouths, no doubt, are yelling, take him away, crucify him, because they have realized what it means to have Jesus as their king. You see, Jesus is a strange king. Oh, he has the power in a moment, in the snap of a finger, by a word, to simply defeat the Roman Empire. But he hasn't said one negative thing about the Romans. This is a problem. I mean, he is not working that propaganda machine. In fact, you, you want to know what he said about the Romans up till now? And don't get me wrong, Romans are horrible. Right? They invented crucifixion to intimidate people into doing things their way. They rule by torture, the most gruesome of tortures. They deserve to have horrible things said about them. Jesus says nothing negative about the Romans. Jesus is a strange king. He is the strangest of messiahs. Jesus said, when the Romans ask you to carry their luggage one mile in order to shame you and remind you that you're Jewish and to remind you of their superiority and to remind you of their power, when they tell you to carry their luggage one mile because that's a specific rule given to the Jewish people because they're, it drives them out of their minds. And so if it gets too out of control, the Jewish people will just riot. They will cause an insurrection that will be a total pain to the Romans. And the Romans like their form of peace. And so they have told the Jewish people, okay, our soldiers are only allowed to have one Jewish person carry their luggage for one mile. And Jesus says, when that Roman soldier asks you to carry his luggage for one mile, you should. Some of you have read your Bibles. 
In order to love your enemy, you go ahead and carry it a second mile. And Jesus didn't say this directly, but I think he intended a third mile and a fourth mile. You just keep going until that Roman soldier realizes that you love him. Who wants Jesus to be the Messiah now? Who wants Jesus to save their soul now? Jesus invites us into a different kingdom, into a different state. So, on Palm Sunday, the first day of Passover, we have these questions before us. Who really is the king of of our heart? Who really is sitting on that throne? For what reasons do we proclaim Jesus as Messiah? I might suggest to you that faith can be easy in the United States. Still, percentage-wise, we have a majority of Christians in this country. Now, we can argue all day about who's acting most like Christians within that percentage, but we live in a place where the majority is Christian, or they claim to be Christian. We live in a place of luxury, abundance, I mean, it could be that we're lifting up the name of Jesus because things are going our way. Because Jesus seems to be being the Jesus that we want him to be. And that's quite scary. Because as we see from the story, those same mouths who gave praise to Jesus, who proclaimed him as the Messiah just a few days from now will be yelling in anger, crucify him, take him away. Because it's very easy to follow the crowd. It's frightening how easy it is to follow the crowd and how difficult it is to stand for what you know to be true to stand for the things that God is calling you to do. So we have to settle that question, who is on the throne? Really? Who is really on the throne? Let's pray together. Father, we stand in awe of your incredible grace. You died for us while we were still sinners. You asked nothing of us. You give us a promise that if we believe in you, you will give us eternal life. You tell us if we confess our sins, you will forgive us. There's nothing more to be done and that you will do the work of commits in our life. You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We stand in awe of your incredible grace. Father, help us to trust that 
the good things you offer are so far above the things that this world offers. Father, help us to step into obedience with you as the king of our hearts, truly, that we would love our enemies, maybe even our coworkers. <laughs> Father, we pray that our worship would be authentic, that it would not be conditional based on how things are going in our life at the moment, but based on your reality, our knowledge that you are the Messiah. Help us to trust you with being the Messiah. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? From number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Okay, thank you. I'll see you Thursday. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.